You're listening to the Ship Bob Operator Series. Each week, your host, Casey Armstrong, e-com veteran, is joined by founders, operators, and insiders who are bringing along their stories and data to give you the exclusive inside scoop and tactics from those who have been there, done it, and gotten their hands dirty. You can tune in for a live recording Wednesdays. Head to operators.shipbob.com for the details. But until then, enjoy this audio replay. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the ShipBob Operator Series. So we have Cassie Bernvoth, uh, who I will be introducing in a second, joining us here. Of course, we have Nick Cotter, the puppet master behind all of these. So thank you all for joining us. We're actually thinking about how we take this out through the end of the year and definitely through Q3. And so if any of you have any suggestions, please let us know. We're actually going to be coming up on episode 26 pretty soon, which will means we'll have been doing it for six months straight. It's um, crazy. Crazy. So we're, we're trying to get creative here. Also, everybody knows the drill. Drop in where you're dialing in from. We'd love to see where everybody is. As always, I'm here in Southern California. Nick, where are you at today? Still down in the Cape. Just, uh, we've Definitely, I was just talking to Cassie though. It's uh, we haven't, we're like in a mild drought here. Nothing like uh, California has seen in the past, but we haven't seen rain here in a couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. little things. And, and Cassie, where where are you calling in from? I am in Chico, California. So Northern California, about an hour, hour and a half north of Sacramento. Nice. I've been to Chico once. So what for? Whatever that's worth. <laughs> my my good friend's uncle was teaching there. And so we decided to road trip it up there and, and stay with him. And isn't there like a, there's like a river that goes through that they cemented and turned into like a pool. Yeah. In like downtown, I think Bidwell Park has that. It's pretty interesting. I went for the first time a couple of months ago. Yeah. It's like a public pool. I don't know how clean that can be, but anyway, it's, I mean, no wonder it's why interesting. Kate- I was gonna say no wonder why Casey wins all these uh, these trivia nights when we go out in Chicago. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't know. I had to look up Chico on the map. No, I just had no yeah. idea. Yeah. I mean, well, Chico is well known for um, Chico State is a very big state school here. Chico State also has a very strong agricultural program, known nationwide. And a lot of the nuts that you buy, walnuts and almonds, almond harvest, also known as almonds, just started. So they're starting to shake trees and get all the nuts out of the trees and then walnut harvest. We actually live on a 35 acre walnut farm, operating farm. My husband manages it. And that harvest starts in October, November timeframe. So walnuts and almonds. (laughs) There you go. He also had one of those, like, what are the bikes when there's two seats on it? You guys, I know what you're talking about, but I can't think of the term. Tandem bike. Thank you, Sean. There we go. Thanks, Sean. And so my buddy was rather tall like myself and so we looked very odd as we're like we were 17 so give me some you know a break there just going to the 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 pool the pool and the with the river that was cemented so hey when in chico anyways to to jump into it so we have again cassie bernvoth up in chico founder of fatco they're a paleo friendly clean skincare brand and she runs it with her husband, as she mentioned, and there are seven goats, four dogs, 90 chickens. Anything else I'm missing? One baby, one one-year-old little boy. <laughs> there we go. We also, we also grow wine grapes, all kinds of fruit. It's a farm. That's awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, to start things off, I actually was in the paleo space for a while, and so I'm pretty fascinated by what you're building out. I used to help run a site called Paleo Hacks, if you're familiar with Paleo Hacks at all. I am. There we go. 
before we jump into your your origin story and starting the business, something that really stood out to me when I went to your website is in the main navigation, you have a reviews tab. And I feel like I never see that. So I'd love to hear, you know, what made that important for you? And I guess, when did you decide to put that front and center? So we rebuilt our website maybe about two years ago. And for us, reviews are just so huge. I'm still blown away at how many reviews we get. I'm personally, as a consumer, I'm not a big reviewer. I'm not good about if I have a good experience to go online and write a review. But I can't believe still how many of our customers buy our products and write just amazing reviews. So we have tons of really great reviews. I've always thought, how do we use those to the best of our advantage? So using them on social, obviously, but also making it front and center on our website. Because I think when you're going, especially skincare and body care products, when you're going, especially if you've never heard of a brand before, let's say you just saw us on social. If you go to the page, you want to see what other people's experiences were like. You want to hear, if you're going to take the chance and buy a new deodorant, you want to hear if other people have had success with that product. So especially in the personal care space, I just feel like reviews, especially when you have a lot of good reviews, to make the most use of those, we just wanted to make them front and center and have them always visible to customers. I love that. And, and you know, like you wrote, you know, you're not a big reviewer. I'm not a big reviewer. I think that you know, most people they send they submit their reviews when they're most frustrated. Um, yeah, I mean, bad it, experience. It, it's how like Yelp built their entire business. And so to see you all have so many positive reviews, especially for a first time consumer, I'm, I'm sure that's you know that's extremely important and, and helps you know your conversion rates as well. Yeah, definitely. I think so. So tell me, you know, before we, I've got a bunch of questions. We got a bunch of great questions from the audience um, that when they registered, and I'm sure we'll get a bunch as this goes on. But tell us a little bit about, you know, the origin story. Like, why, why did you have to build Fatco? So I, as I was telling Nick, I live in San Diego. I moved after college. Well, college. Went to college for mechanical engineering. Got my degree. Moved out to San Diego. Got a job working in large-scale automotive manufacturing. So I like to say that I was a super nerd by day, but making personal care products was kind of my creative outlet. Like it was just something I really enjoyed doing. I did my first Whole30 in 2012. And for me, as I started to read more labels on the foods I was eating, I started to really read a lot more labels on the personal care products I was using. And at that time, I was learning a lot about the just really nasty stuff that we're putting on our bodies every day that isn't good for us and probably contributing negatively to our health. So um, for me, deodorant was the top offender. I started making deodorant right off the bat, probably made a million different recipes, but found something eventually that was working really well, and then started making a lot of other products. Oil cleanser was, I think, my second one. I had really bad oily skin growing up through college. I used all the products on store shelves. This is for oily skin. Now, what you'll find out is anything that says it's for oily skin, how it's working is it's stripping your skin of oil, right? You have too much oil, let's get rid of the oil. But really what that's doing is throwing your skin out of whack. It's throwing your skin out of balance. Your, your skin is trying to balance itself all the time. And we mess with our skin so much sometimes that it almost makes it worse. So I started oil, this oil cleansing thing, which I found out through paleo, through you know Pinterest, through all these channels. And it was really working for me. So that was one of the, that was probably the next product I started making. So I was just making these products kind of as a hobby. 
And then I started learning a lot through the Weston A. Price Foundation website about tallow, grass-fed tallow, and how beneficial it is, great for eczema and psoriasis and all these skin conditions. And I looked and nobody else was using this ingredient. So I thought, this is a differentiated skincare product. Like if I could make this and I could find a way to sell it, and I'm following all these people in the paleo community, and the paleo community is interesting because like you have the really big bloggers in the paleo community. And when somebody posts something, like everybody wants it. Everybody wants to know about it. They're very, it's a very tight knit community and the fanatics are fanatics. So I thought these are products that people in the paleo, CrossFit, keto community would really be open and receptive to. It's different. It's interesting. And it's differentiated. You know, even at the time in 2014, the new and emerging skincare brands was the same stuff. Vegan friendly, it's plant-based, it's organic, but it's it's all the same stuff. Like it's not different in any way. So I just saw this opportunity with these products I was making in my kitchen. I saw this opportunity to create a brand and to really sell these products. One benefit I had was that the skincare industry is somewhat unregulated. Like you don't really have to have FDA limits use of ingredients, but like you don't have to get authorized to sell skincare products. I was in the beginning, I was making products in my kitchen sanitarily, cleanly, like very well taken care of. But I was able to make these products and launch a brand through direct to consumer channels pretty much overnight. So I had a friend from high school do some branding. She created labels. I found a really great vendor to do a short run of labels for me, bought packaging and launched my first website using Squarespace and really had a a company up and running within a couple months. It was just me. I was doing everything. I was doing all the social media marketing. I was making all the products. I was, I mean, I was doing it all. And that's kind of where it started. And I launched in April, 2014. My mom placed our first online order. She will forever go. She will go to her grave saying she was Fatco customer number one. Because I was like, mom, I created this website and I need someone to test it out. Make sure that your credit card works. Can you do it? So she did it. She hopped on the website and placed an order. And that's and a good, yeah, that's so, a good uh, sales hack right there. Hey, I need to make yeah. sure your credit card works. <laughs> yeah. So that. that was it. April of 2014 is when we launched um, Direct to Consumer, the first website in Squarespace. And, you know, in six years, we've come a really long way. So, because I did want to ask, I did, I did notice when I was reading up on Vatco and in your background that, you know, your mom placed the first order. Lo- love that story. Something you mentioned that I think is really important, and and I definitely saw firsthand, which is how rabid of a community the paleo and CrossFit world is, and how there are a few, and it's grown a lot, real influencers who are providing a lot of value and who actually have a lot of experience. Maybe they have, you know, they're utilizing their their PhD experience or running wellness clinic experience to create these brands in the paleo space. But again, the, at the core, it's it's such a rabid community. How did you, as let's say a follower or a reader, or to an extent an outsider, how did you crack into that to start the distribution with Fatco? So two things. It was a lot of cold emails and saying, "I want to send you free stuff." <laughs> like I and I tell other people that a lot, especially if you have a, if you have a product that you can make sample sizes of that product. I sent out 
tons of messages and just said, hey, I started this brand and I would love to get your honest feedback and I want to send you stuff for free. And people were so open and receptive to that. And that, I think that's another thing about, about the paleo community is that they're so real and open and honest. And like, they were just so warm and inviting to me as this person that they'd never even spoken to. Like it was completely bizarre, probably. The other thing is that for me, a really big break in the beginning was Steph Godro, also known as Stupid Easy Paleo. She's a pretty known influencer in the paleo space. I saw her at Sprouts Market in San Diego. And I just had one of those moments where I was like, you have to walk up to her and say hi. You will regret this if you don't. So got up, mustered all my courage and went up to her and said, hey, my name's Cassie. I just started this brand. I'd love to give you some products. And she was like, oh, this is awesome because I just got back from a trip and I need to do a giveaway. I do a giveaway every month on my website. And I swear to God, we got like 10,000 Twitter followers, 10,000 Instagram followers, like our social media blew up. That was a really big thing for us. And I attribute that to her and her following and her power is that people just really trust her. And that was huge. I mean, from a business standpoint, that was really big for us. And I appreciate that so much from her that so early on, she trusted us to share our my brand with her community. I love that. We'll, we'll start with the second story, which is just really like seize the day. And, you know, we always have to put ourselves, it seems like you're pretty good at stepping outside of your comfort zone. It's, it's you know, di- difficult at times, but the impact that, you know, one person can have, and then of course you can leverage that relationship into cracking the others in the space, which is huge. And then giving away free things. It's crazy how even people who seemingly have more money than they know what to do with, they just love free stuff. And so <laughs> like, it was crazy with, with paleo hacks, we'd get stuff in the mail all the time. And we would sometimes promote some of that stuff. But I think the differentiator, and it sounds like what you did is, it's one thing just to send somebody like that free product. But then if you're also like messaging them and giving them something personal as well, which is like, hey, like this, just take this, I just honestly would love your feedback on X and sending a more personal note, the, the likelihood of you getting a response is much greater. Yeah. And I think it's tough to justify in the beginning, especially when you're really cash strapped. Like I'm, I'm going to send out free, it's going to cost me X dollars. This thing's costing me that so much. Like, how do I justify that expense? But, you know, in this world of social media and word of mouth advertising, like you said, it can just take one person to post something. And like, there your brand is being exposed to thousands of potential customers. Mm-hmm. And we actually have some great questions here that align to that from the audience. So from Ajesh, we talked about good reviews earlier and the importance of word of mouth, which you just said. How do you handle bad reviews? I think that, you know, our products are deodorant, for instance, right? I think everyone's body chemistry is different. I think if our deodorant doesn't work for you, but Schmidt works for you, that's awesome. I tell customers, if you find something that works for you, stick with it. Like, I would love for you to try our products, but don't change because everyone's body chemistry is different. And I want you to find something that works for you, not just buy our products because. To be honest, a lot of the bad reviews we get are, well, on Amazon. I hate Amazon customers. <laughs> um, but on Amazon, and then a lot of it, this is going to sound horrible no matter what way I say it, but <laughs> vegans. Like, vegans don't like our products. Vegans don't like our brand. So they'll come on and write just really nasty reviews. And I'm like, dude, I'm not asking you to shop on my site. You have a choice of where you shop. Okay, you don't agree with my ethics. That's fine. But like, don't come to my website to write tons of nasty reviews. Honestly, when it comes to reviews, if it's a non-pertinent review, I won't post it. 
And people can say like, I wrote a bad review and they're like, they're limiting what's getting posted on the site. But if your review has nothing to do with the product, then I'm not going to post it because it's irrelevant to my customers. It's irrelevant to people that are coming to my site. We're using Talo, but we're not trying to hide it. We're not trying to be secretive about it. It mm-hmm. is, we are loud and proud about our use of CalFat. So you don't yeah, like it's... it. I don't know what to tell you. Do you have like verified purchase or anything like that on uh, on your site uh, for like any of the review aggregators? Or I've seen some of that. Yeah, on, like, some you of know, I'm not sure. We used, we used to be SIO. And I think that I think right now anyone can go on and write a review. I don't think we ha- it has to be a verified purchase. Gotcha. Because I knew that was because I, I was uh, just relative to like shopping on Amazon that you mentioned, right? I mean, you see all these crazy yeah. reviews sometimes and like, you know, you're like, well, I just want the verified ones as a customer because I just need to know if this product works or doesn't work, right? Or, you know, what I should expect. So yeah. I've seen some e-com sites have that. I was just I was curious. Yeah. So. so you mentioned body chemistry earlier. And here's a question from Ken. And then Jeremy actually has an interesting follow-up question to that. So you mentioned products help with stuff like psoriasis. So how do you address medical claims and benefits in your marketing and like FDA compliance? Like, does it matter? How do you approach that concept? So we do not use the E and the P word in any of our marketing because we're not allowed to. I mean, those are medical claims. I toyed around with the idea of like... And what what is the E and the P word? Eczema and psoriasis. Okay. So yeah, those are medical claims. And we, I toyed around with the idea of, of developing an exit, like a cream that we're allowed to use the wording on. Basically, the FDA has a set of ingredients and those ingredients are allowed to be used, or you can only make a claim, an eczema or psoriasis claim, if your product contains those ingredients. And that, that's just been, for us, d- developing an eczema cream is a really expensive thing. Like to work with a lab who is, approved to make over-the-counter, that's essentially an over-the-counter drug, is a lot more expensive and time-consuming, and there's a lot more to it. So we haven't really gotten there. But when it comes to that, I just try I try to not use those words in our marketing. We have tons of customers. You can read eczema and psoriasis in the reviews on our website because customers have used our products for those conditions. But really, technically, we're not allowed to make any of those claims. So I guess before maybe we get to Jeremy's question, you mentioned marketing. And that's definitely, your guys' brand really stood out to me. I love your website. You are a mechanical engineer by training from college. You spent, (laughs) let's call it a a decade in that profession. Then you jump over into the e-commerce space. Part of it is, you know, probably to utilize the other side of your brain with the creativity. You know, just like one of the pictures behind one of your shoulders, I don't know how they do the camera. It has a big old stank thing. And I know the initial (laughs) brand name, I think was Fat Face. Yep. Talk to me about that. Like what, you know, to get this, just like kind of punch you in the face, like marketing stuff. Like how did you approach that? Well, with Fat Face, my original mentality was I wanted a brand name that people would remember. You're not going to forget Fat Face, right? And we were using fat. So I really wanted fat to be in the name. Really early on, we had a trademark issue. That's most the reason that we rebranded. There's another company called Fat Face. They're based out of the UK. They sell mostly clothing but they wanted to start making skincare products. So we went back and forth with them for a couple months, but then it just, it wasn't worth it in the end. So we decided to rebrand. But that was my mentality in the beginning. Also with thanks, naming our deodorant Thanks Stop. Like I wanted things to be catchy and memorable. That was really it in the beginning. I love that. And, and before we all had to be locked up, you know, I know that you were going to different events and trade shows to help with distribution. And so 
anything that stands out to you or you think would be helpful for the audience on how you're able to like differentiate from, you know, the million other booths or people wandering around the floors? Oh, I've seen so many different ways, especially at those big trade shows. Big trade shows are funny to me because it's just like, I want to use a bad word right now, but I'm not going to. It's like who who can sh- have the biggest show, the biggest booth, the hottest chicks. The, you know, it's like this big show now at all those trade shows. You know, for us, we were in the, we're in the beauty space, so it kind of made sense for us. But we had a backlit booth, so our booth was we always just did a ten by ten booth, but we had backlighting, and that always really drew people in. People thought that was really interesting. I just think you know, being really proud about your point of differentiation and not shying away from it. Even if that might offend some people, like we, you know, back to the vegan topic, I've had hundreds of those interactions live and in person. And I just think you need to have a lot of pride in what you're selling and really believe in it because that will come off like that will show when you're at a trade show and you are trying to sell your thing. I love that where knowing your audience and what you stand for and there are going to be people that are going to disagree with you, but like, that's fine and welcome that because you don't mind if John or Jane is vegan or hates meat and hates paleo, but that you like it. And, but I think taking that stand and I, I know again, at, at paleo hacks, that was like a huge thing that we leveraged, which was it's us versus like the vegans. <laughs> and yeah. because that's what the audience wants and that's what your customers want. I, I think it's. Yeah. No, another thing I just want to make note of is like a really big part of our brand story is that we are buying all of our tallow from small U.S.-based family-owned farms that are raising animals responsibly and ethically, regenerating the land in the process. You know, we believe in the nose-to-tail philosophy, which means if you're going to kill an animal, you should use every single part of it and not let any of it go to waste. So sometimes if you have that conversation with a vegan, they can get on board with that. Like it kind of depends on what kind of a vegan they are. But if they can you know, get behind that idea of like, let's not say all animal husbandry is bad, but like, let's support the people who are doing it right. They can sometimes get behind that message and be like, all right, I'm cool with you. I like this. So you can get people to that place sometimes. You're tapping into the ethics side. You have a brand that's that's standing out. And so from like a marketing perspective, maybe more recently, or maybe even, you know, in the last six months, let's say, which social channels or maybe your own email list, what have you been utilizing mostly to drive revenue? So I'd say both of those things. We, we send out a weekly email newsletter. I put those newsletters together myself. We just started running Facebook ads. We actually have hardly ever run, consistently run Facebook ads. But we started working with an agency recently, like mid-May, I want to say, to run some Facebook ads. And that's been working really well. I think we're still in the beginning stages. So we're, I'm interested to see where that goes over the next couple months. And then we're also working with someone for our Amazon ads. But, you know, mostly Facebook and Instagram, our emails do really well. But we've never messed around with Google AdWords or anything like that. Nothing Google related. Um, mostly just social. Social has just always been really good for us. What about to build your email list? How'd you approach that? That's really just been organic since the beginning. You know, if you place an order, you're added to our list. We have on our website, we have a couple different pop-ups. We have one, we offer a free sample kit. So you can get the sample kit and then just pay for shipping. And you can, mm-hmm. it allows you to try our products. So we have, we use Klaviyo for email marketing. And we have a pop-up that comes up and offers you that free sample kit. And that gets a lot of email addresses. And then 
we have a, an, a not abandoned cart, but you know, when they're closing out the window, we have another pop up. So we're collecting email address emails on the website a lot. That's most of it. Sometimes we'll do giveaways with other like-minded brands where we're collecting emails that way, but it's mostly been organic through people visiting our website. We've also what, what recently about- started to mess around with SMS a little bit too. So Clay, hmm. collecting those through Clavio, those same Clavio pop-ups. Interesting. I'd love to hear about more about SMS in a second, but you mentioned, you know, Steph um, Goodrow who promoted you guys a while ago. I'm assuming you've partnered with other influencers or affiliates in the paleo or broader paleo space when they drive traffic to your site does that help build your email list or are they primarily driving something to a website that they own and maintain they're primarily sending traffic to our website because we use affiliate codes and then coupon codes as well so Mm. the customer checks out with a coupon code that is that influencer's code they'll get that commission but that yeah that's usually going back their links are sending them back to our website. Okay. Has that been able to help you guys build your email list as well? Or you're not really seeing much from there? It's mostly orders. Yeah, mostly orders. Okay. Interesting. So a question from Akila. you mentioned Squarespace. Are you still on Squarespace or have you moved? No, we've moved around a lot. So I started on Squarespace. Then I think we moved to Big Commerce for a short period of time. Then we moved to... First, I'm going to blank on the name. It was this kind of like all-in-one solution. They were based out of San Francisco. It didn't work out. We were with them for maybe like a year, year and a half. And then we moved to Shopify. And I've been nothing but happy since we moved back to Shopify. Love nice. Shopify. Yeah. So the question for the follow-up from Akila was, if not, if you've not moved, what do you love about Squarespace? But with Shopify, it sounds like you're using you know, quite a few apps like Klaviyo for email, Klaviyo for SMS, and a handful of others. Any other apps that stick out to you that have really allowed you to run your business well? And I guess to, to caveat that, what, what I love with e-commerce enablement tools today is it allows, let's say your business, it's you and your husband, and you can build this rather large business with such a small team. And so what else do you think allows you to have a lot more time in your day? So we use Recharge for our subscriptions. We use Stamp.io for reviews. We use Loyalty Lion for loyalty points. We use Shipping Easy for our shipping software. So we do all of our fulfillment here out of our warehouse in Chico. We outsource our fulfillment for a while. We used a company in New Jersey for maybe a year, year and a half. It was hard. Like it was really hard having all of our inventory somewhere else. And especially working with a team that wasn't very easy to communicate with. And we have a lot of SKUs. You know, we have like 50 SKUs. So it's not like, here's four SKUs. There's only so so much you can mess up with four items. But we had a lot of products and we had all our inventory there. And it was challenging for us. So we brought our fulfillment back in-house probably about a year and a half ago. And it was great. It's great. It's been great. Like I just, I love doing our own fulfillment. For instance, right now we're doing a sample swap with a makeup company that we love called Araza. And I coordinated it probably two weeks before August 1st. She sent me samples. I sent her samples, a sample with a coupon code card attached. And every order for the month of August, we're including their samples and they're including ours. So doing our own fulfillment in-house really offers a lot of flexibility to do different stuff like that. But we use Shipping Easy, which I really like. It pulls in all of our Shopify orders, our Amazon orders. It allows planning to be really easy. So that's another piece that I really like that we use. I don't deal with that day-to-day. Tim uses that mostly. And then later, I use later for scheduling social, which I really like. 
it's streamlined, it's easy to use. And then Clavio. I, I don't have enough good things to say about Clavio. I just think it's great. We were using retention science before them. It was very expensive. I just couldn't justify it. And then we switched to Clavio and it's it's just perfect for what we need. And I think they have solutions for businesses of all sizes, which I also really appreciate. So something I also noticed on your website along with the reviews were fat bucks. And it sounds like you're using loyalty line for that. And so yeah. I have a lot of questions there, but if you can explain fat bucks, when you rolled it out, maybe the, the obstacles you had to overcome, if any, but would love to learn more about that. Yeah, we, I'd say we rolled that out when we rebuilt our website, we kind of launched everything at once. So that was probably about a year and a half ago. It's just, I, I think a great tool for people who are shopping on our website often. I think it does a great job of helping us retain customers on fatco.com as opposed to that customer who's going to buy on fatco, but then maybe go to Amazon because it's easier. Like they might know they have some fat bucks that they could get $5 or $10 off. And for our subscription customers, it's allowing them to get points for every order basically. So I think it's a really great customer retention tool, people shopping on your site. And we have a lot of customers who use it. Like people just really like, I think it makes it kind of like a game. Like how many mm-hmm. points can I get? But yeah, we, you know, we have a lot of people who are really actively using their um, reward points. So when you create an account, you get 500 points. I think you get, I forget exactly what the point system is, but you know, you get points every time you make a purchase, you get points every time you refer a friend and they make a purchase. And that actually gives your friend a discount as well. So there's all these different ways that people can earn points. And it, we've seen a lot of success with it. That's great. And I feel like creating a program like that sounds daunting to many individuals. I know myself with with like Airbnb, for example, when I was flying at least every other week to Chicago and elsewhere, you know, before COVID, and I was often staying at Airbnbs all over and I was shocked. I'm like, how do they not have like a rewards program? I should be racking up Airbnb points left and right, but I wasn't. And I think a lot of e-commerce founders or entrepreneurs see it again as like a daunting task, but it sounds like you guys were able to get it up and running pretty quickly. And it sounds like it's, it's helping keep people on your website as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think any, I think that's most of the reason why I love Shopify. They have so many apps and they're really easy to just integrate and add to your website. I have a woman who lives in New Mexico that does, when I have things tasks like Shopify stuff that I don't feel comfortable doing myself because I feel like I'm going to mess up our website, I'll email her and she'll help me out. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, a lot of those apps are just super easy to integrate into your website. So another app I want to touch on that I've seen you mention prior, here we're getting into the weeds on stuff, which I like because people are looking for actionable ideas, yeah. is Canva. And that's something that we use quite a bit. This, that company is blown up. But tell oh. me, you, there you go. You love Canva. Good. Tell me, I want them to Canva? blow up more. Keep giving me new features. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I use Canva. I mean, I just designed this like little fold-out thing. We're going to put a little sample. We're going to stick it here with QR. Like I just designed this yesterday. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't have a graphic design degree. I don't know how to use Photoshop or any of that stuff, but Canva I can do. Um, It's amazing because you can save, you can create folders. Like I have, you know, the other day I was going back to my holiday 2019 folder to see what designs I'd done for holidays last year. It allows you to stay really organized and, design anything for anything, like any dimensions. I mean, I could go on and on about Canva. Don't get me started. But yes, (laughs) I love Canva. And it is probably, it's the best money I spend every month. 
That is great. And it's probably 30 bucks a month. Yeah. I love tools like that where people will see the design or the content that you'll put out there and they'll think that there's this army of people behind that. And you're like, um, I actually did that in like 30 minutes Saturday while my baby was sleeping. It's just crazy the tools, how you know, can really level up your game, even though, like you said, you don't have that that background. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to use it to design our labels or anything. I will pay somebody else to do that. But, you know, I think that was one of the questions you sent me ahead of time is like, how do you look at running this business with two people? And I think the key is finding ways to work smarter, not harder. Mm-hmm. And it that's one of the ways is like Canva is an amazing tool that, yeah, I could spend hours and hours on designing social media graphics, but I don't because there's amazing tools like that available. That's great. And there are also a bunch, I'll, I'll try to see if I can think of any and maybe Nick knows some where you can actually put in some of your favorite brands and see what other people are doing and just trying to like steal from different places. And I think it's actually really important also to not just look at like, what are my competitors doing? Cause then you just all start to look the same, but what are people doing in like tangential spaces? And so for us, like we're in the B2B space, but we often look to like consumer brands because they're often doing the most innovative and creative stuff. And so it's what can we maybe borrow from them that is interesting and relevant for our audience. And so to go yeah. back to like your growth over time. So your mom made the first purchase. You had yeah. that fortunate run in with Steph and she at, at a great time where she promoted you to her audience. You mentioned that you guys did a couple hundred K in your first year. How did you go from getting that first order, that first promotion? How did you continue to get that momentum over time to to achieve an accomplishment like that? So yeah, we did. I did because it was just me at that point. I we, I did about two hundred thousand dollars in our first nine months of business. So that was through the That's holidays awesome. of twenty fourteen. Thank you. I started the company with my own money, about ten grand. Didn't raise money. Haven't raised money yet. So we are and still are completely bootstrapped. And then from there, I was operating out of my house. I just couldn't do it anymore. I moved into a dedicated space, hired a first employee, started really like having my eyes set on some big things, right? So I was taught making friends in the food space. Um, they're like, oh, you got to do Natural Products Expo East and West. Like you got to get do big trade shows. This is how you meet with all the buyers. So did the trade show circuit, did it hard for those, I'd say three years, like 15, 16, 17. We did Natural Products Expo. We did Indie Beauty Expo. We did Founder Made one year in New York. But, you know, we we are a beauty brand that is very against the grain as far as trends go, right? Right now, beauty category is what's on trend is to be vegan friendly and plant-based. And that's where we've hit some hurdles. You know, I've gone to Austin and met the global buyer for beauty for Whole Foods. I've met all the buyers know who we are. They know about our brand. But I think they question if the nichiness of our brand is really going to work with their consumer. So our big break, we launched in Target in 2018, January 2018. So we met that buyer at Expo West in 2017. So that was by far the best thing to come from Expo West for us ever. But yeah, we participated in their Target takeoff program in 2017. And then we launched in Target in about 600 stores in January of 2018. We had a really good two and a half year run. And then that came to an end last month or just this past July. Step one is getting into a retailer. Step two is making that product fly off the shelf. And we have a very story heavy brand. Like 
people want to know why are you using tallow? Why is this stick of deodorant $14? Like what, like there's so many questions I think that many people have about our brand. It's really hard to tell that story on a retail shelf. So, you know, I think our time in Target was great, but I think we struggled because we weren't able to really tell that story. Also, we were selling deodorant in the natural beauty aisle. Like in my opinion, it wasn't really placed very well. If I'm going to Target to buy deodorant, I'm going to the deodorant aisle, not the natural beauty aisle. So we had our challenges with Target. We went in and then we came out. But that's been our most notable retailer to date. And all other retailers, we've just had challenges because I think that, like I said, we're very, our brand is very different. And I acknowledge that. But I think the beauty, having a D to C brand, like we were D to C from day one, and we still focus super heavily on our D to C channel. Because it is the channel that allows us to tell our story. It's the channel that allows us to find those paleo, find those keto, find those CrossFit people, find those people that we know are going to be open and receptive and interested in our products and maybe filter out the vegans. That's the channel that just really allows us to communicate with our customers and find our desired customers the best. I love that is, is knowing, knowing who your customers are and, and, that's where you, and that's where you're spending your time. For let's say, you know, Target sounds like it had its its ups and downs, but a lot of people are looking to maybe crack into that space at times with that that first buyer and getting into Target, even though you're kind of going against the grain because of your product and it's not it's very much not vegan friendly. How did you I guess close that first deal? What what do you think allowed like put you in a position to to get that across the finish line? So I think that going into those meetings or going into that meeting with that buyer, we had a really strong social following. We had a large email newsletter list. We had, mm. we could show that we had a loyal customer fan base and that was important to them. You know, we have like a 60% return rate. People who are shopping on our website, people buy our products. They love our products. They come back for our products. And I think being able to show if you are a direct-to-consumer brand, really show and understand your KPIs to really show that data to say, this is why you should bring us in. Because all these people love our stuff, your customers will love it too. For us, I think that really spoke volumes for them. I love that. The social proof, the data, and having that data readily available. Because that's what they're going to be looking at. That's what that buyer's boss is going to be looking at. And that boss's boss, you're bootstrapped. So you don't necessarily have a, a bunch of money to throw around to test things at the beginning. And I know with, let's say, with Target and others, I don't know how they Target specifically structures it, but often you have to send a lot of inventory in advance, and then you get paid probably on net terms after it sells. So maybe if you can share a little bit on the economics there and how, as a bootstrap brand that is, you know, has a very close eye on cash flow, how are you able to like navigate that? I think we found out we we're going to launch in mid seventeen. And we kind of, we worked with the broker, so we kind of had an idea of how much inventory we we're going to have to buy, how many stores we're going to go into, how many SKUs by mid-17. And I was like, oh, crap, we need money. I'm going to make this happen, but we need money to make this happen. So I eventually secured an SBA loan for $250,000. Getting an SBA loan is no joke. Like, it is hard. They require a bajillion documents. <laughs> But in the end, I mean, it was the best, it, it was the best path for us to take, I think, because it gave us the cash that we needed to buy inventory and to support that launch. And as opposed to 
raising money. Cause I think the worst time to raise money is when you have to, and that would have been a situation where we had to, and I didn't want to do that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think loans are a great option. There's this funny tweet that I'm going to box. I I think I saw it yesterday, the day before. It's actually from another D2C founder in the, in the paleo space. And he was just joking on how, you know, getting government loans like this, it's really less about how viable the business is and more of how persistent the founder is because you're going to have to submit, like you said, a kajillion documents at the end of the day. Yeah. So a question here from Edward, um, I'll modify it just slightly just around Amazon. And so you're selling D2C, you're considering Amazon. In this case, he's considering Amazon. Now you're on Amazon. What was that increase to your sales? How did the, it, that impact the mix between D to, your, your, your website versus Amazon from like a margin standpoint? What can you share with us there and how Amazon's been a complement to your business? Our margins are definitely worse on Amazon. Like they just take a bigger piece of that pie. But I think you can't just not be on Amazon. I don't think nowadays it's really an option. Like I just don't think that's the reality. We've gone through a bunch of different you know, modes with Amazon. At first, we were using a reseller. So we would sell our product wholesale. They would resell it. Then we kind of brought it back in-house. We're managing it ourselves. We started started working with an agency about two months ago to manage our Amazon business because I just think there's a lot more potential on Amazon. I think we should be selling a lot more product on Amazon, especially when you see what other deodorant-only brands are doing. So you know, when we found out we were going to lose Target, I really wanted to start beefing up our other channels because I wanted to make up for that revenue somehow. And that's kind of how I made that decision for the Amazon business was because I just see a lot of potential for us on Amazon. Right now, I'd say it's kind of split like half and half. We do a lot of business on Amazon, but we also do a lot of business on our website. And my thought process over the last month has been how can we grow our direct to consumer channel? Because Amazon has been a bear for the last month. If anyone sells on Amazon, you know that they're limiting the amount of inventory you can send in. It's taking them weeks, weeks to receive inventory. Our sales in July were painfully low because of all these limitations that Amazon was placing on the brands. And I don't want to be a pawn in someone else's game. And that's how I feel with Amazon. So while we're going to remain on Amazon, I'm trying to think of new ways to get more traffic on our direct to consumer, mostly through subscriptions, because I don't, I don't want to get to a phase where we are depending on Amazon, because I think it's a really dangerous place to be. Unless you are a brand that only sells on Amazon, right? Let's say there are lots of brands who are just like, we're going to launch, we're going to launch on Amazon, and that's it. We don't want to mess with our own website. But we have all the systems in place to have a really killer D2C business. So that's my main goal is to figure out how not pull sales away from Amazon, just get more traffic to our website and really grow our recurring revenue. So I want to talk about the Amazon being a complement to your business and you pulling them over in a second. But you mentioned their limiting inventory, their receiving times are weeks at a time. So how are you navigating that to make sure that you can continue to sell through Amazon? We're just trying to be really forward thinking about sending inventory in and knowing that there might be that delay. I think there's only so much that you can do. In like May, June, people were seeing a lot of delays in shipping times from Amazon. So we, the way we're structured is we have fulfilled by Amazon, but we also have FBM listings as well. So we were seeing a lot of customers that we 
that were being directed to our FBM listings and we were fulfilling those orders. And they were actually getting it a lot faster than any kind of FBA order. So that I think was an, put us at an advantage that we had the FBA and we have the FBM listings as well, because it allowed us to, you know, we have all the inventory here. It allowed us to continue to sell when the FBA listings were having a little bit of an issue. And then, yeah, just trying to be proactive and making sure they have as much inventory as they'll allow us to send in. And I, I kind of think that's the best you can do. With getting people back over to your owned website, how are you approaching that with Amazon? And do you list all of your products on Amazon that you have on your website? So how do you balance that? Yeah, so I've gone back and forth on that. Like, ask me that a year and a half ago, and I've been like, no, we're only having four listings on Amazon, four products. And then we're going to get everybody back over to our website, and it's going to be rainbows and unicorns. But <laughs> I don't necessarily think that works. So we actually have an extensive SKU set on Amazon. We also have like two packs. We're trying to boost the cart value on Amazon. We try to get people to buy, you know, like a two pack of deodorant or a four pack of our fat sticks. We're trying to increase the cart value, but I'd say all of our products are not on Amazon, but most of them are. Black Friday, Cyber Monday, they're going to be here before we know it. Yes, I there know. you go. You're chomping Crazy. at the bit. Who knows what this, what this holiday <laughs> season is going to even look like? How I know. Are you, how are you preparing? We are starting to work on creative. So for our ads and stuff like that, we are doing our, our production planning. So we have a lead time of about six to eight weeks with our manufacturer. So we, my husband and I are having a meeting later this afternoon to go <laughs> over our production planning for the holidays. Because, you know, all manufacturers, I think, you know, standard six to eight weeks, but before the holidays, it's more like eight to 12. So you want to make sure you get the orders in in time. And then I've been doing work on our website. So creating new kits and sets, trying to put things together so it's a more giftable item. We have a lot of products that I think are highly giftable, but just making them a little bit more giftable. So creating those kits and sets and stuff. And then working with, you know, if there are gift guides, people that are putting together gift guides, getting that creative put together and sent out. That's mostly it. It's a lot of creative and getting all the graphics and stuff ready. And so, email. I mean, I haven't started scheduling email newsletters, but getting up the promo schedule laid out, kind of, you know, everything from Thanksgiving Day to the end of December, emails, social posts, all that stuff. I love that. It's August, but prepping for the holidays. I, I know. You got to. I only have a couple more questions. Well, I have a bunch more, but for the sake of time, I only have a couple more. One that I wanted to ask earlier, and your comment made me think of it. How is it with your husband as your co-founder? It's or, good. I won't call him my co-founder, co-founder. I should say your, your colleague, your co-worker. Yeah, yeah, that's better. So I founded the company in 14. I think he joined in 17. It's great. It's hard. I'm not going to lie. And we had a really hard time in the beginning, but we, we work so much better now. Like, I don't know. It's just, I think it takes work. And it's, I think communicating at a relationship level is very similar in many ways to communicating on a business level. And when you work together, that's forced. You got to figure that out. So mm -hmm. in summary, it was hard in the beginning, but we are really good at it now. That's great. And I bet it's going to help some. I mean, it, it started you know, in your brain and then you brought it to reality and then bringing in somebody later. But it was just funny when you said you've got a, you've got a meeting later. So it's you know, scheduling <laughs> a meeting with, with your husband. So my second to last question, where do you see Fatco, let's say in five to 10 years? What, do you, what are you excited about? What's the future hold in store for Fatco? Our focus right now is D2C, and I think it will be for a while. 
I think retail is great. I hope that we can get into more retail in the future, but I think we're really being driven by category trends. And I just don't think we're there yet. It's funny because in 2014, I probably would have said the same thing. Like, no, people are going to be super into cow fat based skincare products in like just a couple years. And now I say the same thing. You know, I think we're on the front end of this regenerative agriculture movement, you know, like plant-based meat. It's still kind of like having its day, but I think soon that's going to kind of move out. And I think this idea of, this is what I hope, this idea of like regenerative agriculture, cows are not killing the planet. It's factory farming of cows. So that's my hope is that as time progresses, that more people will be open to this idea of using our types of products. Because right now, the trends in the beauty category are just the opposite of what we're doing. This has been great. I really appreciate your time. I have one final question that I always ask. But first, thank you to Nick for putting this together. Thank you to everybody in the audience. I know there's a bunch of stuff you can do with your day. But Cassie, it's just, it's so apparent. You obviously, you know, you, you built this from end to end, from scratch. Like your ability to talk about every single facet of e-commerce and the business is just, I know that I learned a lot, so I really appreciate it. What is your number one tip for entrepreneurs today? I think my number one tip is if you want to start a business, get super comfortable stepping out of your comfort zone. So I hate being on camera. Like I just don't like it. It's not my thing. But you guys email me and say, hey, we want you to do this. I'm like, I say yes. It's what, what was that movie that Jim Carrey was in? Like he said yes to everything. <laughs> I think you have to learn to say yes, yes to everything because <laughs> yeah, yes, man. Because like I said earlier, it could just take one thing, one person seeing something that that's a potential customer. The agency that we're doing our Facebook ads with, he's been wanting to make a video, like to do like a Facebook ad, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that. I hate videos of myself. But like, you just got to do it. You just got to push through. Even if you don't like it, you got to push through and just force yourself to do it. Like get super comfortable stepping out of your comfort zone. Love that. Step out of your comfort zone. That's a perfect way to end it. You're also really good on camera, so you should listen (laughs) to your agency. Thank you very (laughs) much. Best of luck with everything under the holidays. And thanks to everybody for joining us. Thank you, guys.